How do we have a worship that is full of joy? How do we do that? How do you be a Christian in a church where you're around people whose hearts are overflowing with joy? You know, Billy Sunday, I got to tell you, I can't wait to meet him. He was a fiery, fiery preacher. You want to hear what he said? He said this, the trouble with many men is that they have got just enough religion to make them miserable. If there is not joy in religion, you have got a leak in your religion. That was Billy Sunday back in 1914. He preached that sermon. Listen, we might have some leaks in our Christian faith. If you're not full of joy, something is not right in our hearts. So as we approach Psalm 33, I want you to notice something. Look right now. That's why I told you you need to have your Bibles open because if you've got your Bible open, you're already probably noticing there's no author that this is assigned to. It doesn't say a Psalm of David or a Psalm of Asaph. There is nobody that it's credited to. And when the Jews had a Psalm without an accredited author, they called it an orphan Psalm. So this is one of the orphan Psalms, but I want you to see something, and this is again why you need your Bibles. I hope you've got your Bible open because I want you to flip back to the end, or rather to the beginning of Psalm 32, the one that's right before it. And this one is written by David. It's a maskil of David, and look what he writes, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now look at me for just a moment. This psalm, I tell you what, we know how this psalm works because if you've ever tried to cover up sin, if you've tried to conceal it, if you've gone a while without confessing sin in your life, it's burning in there, it's, it's doing its convicting work, but you're layering it, layering it with hardening your heart, and then listen, then you probably can identify with David because he had some sleepless nights because of that guilt and that conviction. In fact, he felt it into his bones, Psalm 32 says, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up. He'd been racked by a guilty conscience. And it finally moved him. Now, this is where it's got to go with us. It, it finally, the Spirit of God moved him to stop covering up his sin and confess them to the Lord. And when he did, look at verse 11. His heart was free again to be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You know what Chuck Swindoll says? He says this, and I hope you never forget this. This might be one of those ones worthy to write down in the margin of your Bible he says, holiness has to precede happiness. Holiness precedes happiness. The first step to a happy countenance is a clean heart. Listen, if you're not full of joy, the very beginning of your search for the reason why has to be an inward search, and you've got to answer that question. Is there something that's blocking my heart? And is that something sin? Well, David had been made righteous, verse 11, this is Psalm 32, and he was upright in heart and could now shout for joy. Now, look at this, you just turned the page, now you're at Psalm 33, it's an orphan psalm, and look at the first verse, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits 
the upright. Well, we may not know who wrote Psalm 33, but it sure seems like it's a continuation of Psalm 32, which was David's. And Psalm 33 shows us what a heart looks like, a joyful heart looks like, when you know that your sins have been forgiven. So who should be full of joy and praise? Now let's answer, I'm going I'm to try to answer three quick questions. This is going to be a brief little sermon. Who should be full of joy and praise? That's the first question. Who should be full of joy and praise? And the answer, look at what verse 1 says, it should be the upright. It should be the righteous. Now look at me. It should be every single person that's been saved by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because joy is only found in the Lord. You can only get joy from having a relationship with God. And the righteous must shout it out. They must declare it loudly. So here we go. Verse 1 of Psalm 33. Shout for joy. Now stop for a second. I know I'm kind of annoying. Just getting in the flow and I'm making you stop. Shout for joy. Three words. Some of you got rejoice in your translations. It is just one word in the Hebrew. It actually means to creak. I know, that's a little odd, isn't it? Sort of a dissonant sound, not a melodic sound, like a door creaking, but it means to ring for joy. It means to be a climactic shout for joy. A little bit dissonant because we all shout uniquely, but it's the church that should be shouting for joy. Look what it says, in the Lord. Oh, you righteous. If you've been made right with God through Jesus, then our souls ought to be erupting and ringing for joy. Because praise befits the righteous. But let's talk about joy for a minute. Did you know this, that joy, Christian, you got to hear this. Joy is your exclusive commodity. The world can't get it. The world cannot produce joy. It can produce pleasure. It can produce happiness, but that's not what joy is. Joy is the exclusive commodity of God. He only gives it to his people. And you get to see this in person after person. Let me give you a few examples. Voltaire. Voltaire was a French philosopher. He was a writer, famous to this day. He's long been dead. He rejected a personal God, but he wrote in his misery, quote, I wish I had never been born. This is one of the most successful, well-known, famous philosophers ever, and he says, I wish I had never been born. How about Jay Gould, the American railroad millionaire of the 19th century? That would probably make him closer to a billionaire today. And he said on his deathbed, quote, I suppose I am the most miserable devil on earth. This guy had more money than almost anybody in the world, and yet he was miserable. Well, how about Lord Byron, regarded as one of the greatest European poets ever. He reveled in pleasure all of his days, and he wrote, My days are in the yellow leaf. That means, think autumn. They're about to fall off the tree. They're dying. The flowers and fruits of life are gone. The worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. This is Lord Byron, and guess what? He was 25 years old when he wrote it. So the world can't experience joy. Christian, you got something the world cannot get, and that is joy, and our hearts ought to be shouting for joy in the Lord. 
But there's a lot of words that the Hebrew people had for, for expressing joy in human experience. This one, shout for joy, remember it's one word, means to give that ringing cry, means to be interwoven with praise. Look at verse one. Praise befits the upright. You know what that means? It, it means this, praise fits the Christian well. Praise looks lovely when it is coming from the upright, from the church. But haven't you ever wondered what it truly means to praise God? I mean, what does that mean? We use it all the time. I mean, people who are, I don't know, kind of godly say praise the cowboys. I mean, come on, it comes off the lips of everybody. So what does it mean to praise? Well, here it's a noun. Look what it says. Praise befits the upright. It's a noun. And it's a genuine appreciation for the greatness of God. And it produces a mixture of adoration and thankfulness. So here it is. Praise is a genuine appreciation of God, a genuine, a real appreciation of God, but it has to do something. It produces a mixture. You remember what I said? Adoration, thankfulness. Can I just reverse that little uh, chemical engineering here, that spiritual engineering? You take a mixture of adoration and a mixture of thankfulness, you put it together, and it's going to come out of a genuine appreciation of the greatness of God. The more you praise, the more you genuinely appreciate God's greatness. The more you appreciate God's greatness, the more praise, the more adoration, the more thankfulness your heart is going to produce. And it ought to permeate every single Christian. Why? Well, we've been made righteous by the death burial, resurrection of Christ, we ought to be full of joy, people of God. Now that's kind of ironic because we have a little joke up at Mark Street, and I feel like I'm sort of gossiping because they're not here right now, but um, I get to preach to them every week as well, and, and we, you know, Sunday mornings at Mark Street is sort of like CPR, you're trying to resuscitate somebody. They're just not very lively. This congregation, Saturday night, tends to be a bit more lively, which we like. Sunday morning tends to be a bit more lively, which we like. Well, that ought to be. We ought to be shouting for joy. We ought to be the people of God. It ought to erupt a ringing, clear shout for joy. That's what the Hebrew people wanted. But how? Here's the second question. How can every Christian be full of joy? Look at verse Look at the next verse. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. And nobody up here in the worship team's playing that one. Came a little close last week with the banjo. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. We've got six string guitars. Close enough. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So it ought to be vertical. Do you know there's churches that sing worship horizontally? They sing about their experiences rather than praising to God. We're a church is trying to make sure our worship goes vertical. It's about giving thanks to God personally. So praise directed to the person, it's always more meaningful than about the person. You've got to direct it to the person. Do a little experiment, guys. Next time you go out to eat with your wives or your girlfriends, Go to like a TGI Friday or you know, Red Robin where there's TVs and the whole time you're there, 
Just watch the television and nod your head and see what a good evening you have afterwards. Not going to go well. Listen, praise has to be directed personally to the person, to God. And our praise ought to be filled with thankfulness for what God is doing for us. Now, I put that in the present tense. And by the way, if you haven't heard anything I've said, this is where you want to start cluing in, okay? I put this in the present tense. Why? Because God is always doing new things in our lives. You ever thought through that? How do you sing a new song? Well, we can sing to him new songs because we're just responding to the ever new acts of God's mercy to us. He's always doing new things in our lives. We've always got material to write new songs to him. And those songs, listen, they might be brand new. They might never have been uttered from our lips before, or they might be songs of praise that you've sung before, but now they've got a new meaning and a new significance. But look, the musicians are to play skillfully. They are to play their best. They are to have practiced. They are to have put their time into this because they're playing before the Lord. But what's it mean to play skillfully to the Lord? Well, it might be something even more than just playing your best. I think it actually means make sure that your style of playing fits the style of your singing or the style of the words. Listen, if you're singing about God's greatness, then you should have a celebratory style. And if you're singing about suffering and God's mercy, you better get to the dirges and the spiritual ballads. Because if you're singing celebratory, when you're singing about suffering, they're not going to mix. They don't produce good worship. It's similar to Paul's admonition for us to make melody to the Lord with your heart, Ephesians 5. you got to make sure your heart is in sync with your lips. And the style is in sync with the words and you put your best into it. And when we think on the works of our God, then our, our, our mouths rise up in shouts of joy with new songs of praise. But let me end with one more question that we're going to try to answer. And here it is. Why should every Christian be full of joy? Why should every Christian be full of joy? Now, I'm going to just tell you just flat out. I've always tried to speak, you know, really, really clearly, truthfully, and bluntly, but with grace. That's just the way I preach. There's a lot of Christians in our church, I think, are joyless people. I don't understand that. I mean, it doesn't fit. I've been saved from eternal damnation, and I'm in Eeyore. Just something not right about that. You ought to be full of joy and gratitude and adoration. But listen, some of you who are joyless are saying, well, what, do you expect me to go around with a big old smile on my face, happy? That's just not my personality. That's not what joy is. Joy is a settled understanding that starts in your mind that God is good all the time and it produces in you a hope for the future that overshadows anything you experience. That's joy. You could do that if you're an introvert or an extrovert. If you happen to be a happy by nature person or a more soberly serious by nature person, it doesn't matter. Joy ought to be manufacturing from the heart of a Christian because God has done an amazing work. So why should every Christian be full of joy? Look what it says. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. 
He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Here is the most amazing truth, I think, in that verse about God. You ready? Here it is. God's words and God's works always go together. Now think on that, it's a little more profound than you may be thinking it is. What he says he does, unlike each of us at times, sometimes we might say something and do another, but God is utterly consistent. He is always upright, and that word, it's in your text, means he's always straight. He never goes crooked. He's always faithful. This is the Bible. God's word is powerful, and God's actions agree with it. It's why we should love God's word. It's why we should trust it, know it, live it. So why should every Christian be full of joy? Because God's word always is consistent with his actions. And look what it says. Everything he does is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The entire earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So let me reread these first five, five verses and then I'm gonna paraphrase them. So give me a little bit of license. Ready, here it is, look at your text. Give a ringing shout. We who have been made righteous by Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Genuine appreciation for God just looks lovely in the church. Let adoration and thankfulness to God be present in your worship by singing and giving new testimonies of his constant acts of goodness to us. Because there's nothing crooked in God's word. It is always straight and it leads to his faithful love for us. And that faithful love is present everywhere. So just open your eyes and look. That's Psalm 33, verses 1 through 5. Are you full of joy? Do you want to be more full of joy? We all ought to be saying yes, because this is a command, and it's the way that God wants his people to live. Amen?